0: All right, everyone.
1: We're not live yet, yet? but close.
0: All right. (laughs) The sound of the internet, right?
1: (laughs) So I think there's quite a few people out there. I think you can see me, I think, yeah? Okay, hang on just
0: one second. I need to change this. We have 10 minutes to go. Just hang on.
2: Yeah,
1: we're all trying technology here. So whoever's out there, it's really great to have you here. We're, we're still sort of in the preparation of the, of this, uh, of this amazing conference. There's like, I don't know, already 780 people signed up and we only, we can only take 500. So guys, uh, hang on there. We, we're kind of on hold now until six o'clock. Panelists are here. Uh, yeah, you can raise your hand right now, but I'm not going to take any questions. until we officially get started. Um, keep in mind, uh, please keep your microphone muted until we ask you to speak. Uh, now there are 75 people here already. You guys are bright and early. That's very good. Um, if you have any issues, you can use the chat button. Let me just see if I, there's eight people chatting. That's very good. Okay, yeah. Thank, thank you, Harold. We can see and hear you, that's good. Okay, okay. I'm going to send everyone this message on YouTube. If you want to share this event, you can send people a link to YouTube. That's this one, okay? And so uh, if you have a chance, you can Twitter. I will do the same right now. Okay, yeah, okay. Hello, Didier, nice to have you here. Okay. So hang on just one second. Okay, I'm going to go off here for a minute just to have a quick drink of water, and I'll be back just in time at 6 o'clock. Okay, so I will take care of your messages
0: until we kick off in about eight minutes. All right, guys, it's good to have you here. We're
1: not really starting yet. We have four minutes left. I just want to make sure everyone is okay and ready to roll. It's really great that we can meet during this pretty tough time uh and congregate and learn and help each other get through this. So uh it's going to be amazing. I think... uh we have some great panelists here. I'm going to go put this on the, where it should go in the first place. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Now you get to see my beautiful background here. So um yes, the chat, we can use the chat. Uh, if you want to use the chat, we're gonna take questions, however, only through the questions tools. Okay, the, the chat, yeah, you can, you, feel free to use the chat with each other and with everybody else. Also, of course, we're live on YouTube, so you can also, I just sent out the URL, but it's on my YouTube channel. If you can't see the URL, just go to goodtube.com. That's like my name, G-E-R-D, tube.com. That's a shortcut, of course. <laughs> but if you go to goodtube.com, you'll see uh, the tab, it says videos, and then it says live streaming right now. So you can go there and put comments, but of course, you can only put comments if they are positive. No, just kidding. But um, so use the chat box and stuff and uh for each other, otherwise official questions, uh use the questions tab, right? That we can see because uh, there's gonna be a lot of chats here. So we're not sure we're gonna get to the chats very much. So please uh, do use the Q and A, which of course on the lower part of the Zoom interface on the bottom, right? Uh, we have David Reinhold, thanks, you got it. Okay, and there's an upvoting function, okay? Upvoting means you get to vote on people's questions and see which one we should answer first. Uh, the one through the biggest upvotes will, will be answered first, obviously. Um, we have uh, four panelists, four speakers here on this conference today. Um, we are going to take uh, people who want to speak or make a, make a contribution, uh, actually with audio and video, we're going to uh, take you as well. If we can, uh, raise your hand if you want to speak. Okay, there's a raise hand function. i not physically raised hand. You can do that too, but I won't see you. Uh, there's a function on Zoom where you can just raise your hand, and then so how our moderator uh, will try to get you into the queue. Um, we're going to start in about one minute. So as a last minute, if you want to actually say something and be on camera, uh, please make sure that it's that it's good what you're showing us, right? So no calls from this from the subway in New York. Well, that's out anyway. Nobody can go anymore, or from the bus in Delhi uh try to keep in mind that you're you're live on YouTube and that the sound is decent okay so let's give it a couple seconds here and then we're ready to roll
0: uh keep using the question button hmm?
1: okay i mean this is switzerland right i'm in switzerland so we we have to start on time right so i'm going to stop the share and go to the to the full panel mode here okay all right so welcome to the show this is really exciting you know it's been a very very strange thing i i think i'm more nervous about doing this gig you know, virtually, then I'm, I am speaking in front of 3,000 people <laughs> on, on a real stage. It's the strangest thing. And, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've really had to learn how to use all the tech that goes with making a good online show. We're getting there. So bear with us while we're trying to make this happen. So, uh, it's great to have you here. I think, uh, these are very tough times. I think for all of us, most of the speakers in this room are stand to not make any money in the next couple of months. And I think that we have that in common with many people in the audience. If you have any technical issues, um, we're live-streaming on YouTube. Just go to girttube.com. That's my YouTube channel. You'll see the live-streaming tab. If you get kicked out, you can come back in. That may be because there's too many people in the stream. But right now, we're still doing very good. Uh, we have 500 seats. So if you get kicked out, you can go to YouTube and just watch it there. You can also call in. If you don't, you have internet connection to use your mobile phone. Uh, you can use Zoom. There's a bunch of call-in numbers. You can just call like in the old old-fashioned landline and and just listen to us speak we can do that too okay so before i introduce the panelists real quick real questions uh not the chat right you can use the chat if you want but we're going to take questions over the questions tools it's right on the bottom of the screen and you can upload and download other people's questions so we have a priority list if you want to speak that is after the presentations They're seven minutes each you're welcome to speak, raise your hand, and then Soha, who's our moderator, will, uh, will get you into the queue, but make sure your audio and video is working. Let's drive right in. Okay, so I'm very happy to have with me, let's start with Anton Musgrave. Anton, that's, yeah, that's the guy with the fancy head thing there. Nice background Yeah, You're beating everybody <laughs> else's background. Uh,
3: that's so that's
1: Anton, from, <laughs> that's Anton from Cape Town, South Africa. And there is Lizelotte, right? Lizelotte Lingso. Lingzo. From Copenhagen.
3: You don't like my avatar?
1: Uh, Yeah, no, I do. You show up twice there. That's good. Yeah, it's hard to figure out which one is the avatar and which one is you. But but, no, but uh, I'm sure you'll find out later. Uh, And there's K. D. Adamson, right? Hello from from the UK. Hi. Uh, She just started a new venture just today, I think. But she'll tell us about that shortly. Um, And of course, there's our moderator, that's Soha Rashid. Uh, Egyptian-American. She is the researcher and associate futurist here uh, at the Futures Agency. Um, So again, the whole thing is on YouTube. It will be archived. You're going to get an email in an hour and a half about where to find the archive, the PDFs and all that stuff. It's automated. Uh, If you go to my blog, futuristguard.com, at uh, 7.30 p.m., there'll be an automated update with all the slides you can download if we have slides and with the audio and the video. So anything urgent right now, Sawa? Do we have any urgent questions or any technical issues? Oh, well, we can't hear you, Sawa, are you there? You're muted. Okay, no, I think we can proceed, right?
4: Uh, we have the point. Oh,
1: yes, very good yeah, see. I knew you were going to give me an important point that I was forgetting, I'm looking at my sticky notes back here, but you know, don't do this by the way. I am just kidding. Look at the camera. So uh, let's do a poll just to find out where you guys are from. Uh, We currently have 300 people online, roughly. So I'm going to do a quick poll, and I'm going to launch it. The key question in this poll is, where are you from? Where are you based? Uh, You get to make one choice, of course. (laughs) So please just kind of type in where you are. Uh, So I I need to know how many Americans are in the room so I can talk good or bad about America uh, and Europe and Switzerland and (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have a good conversation, I think, on this. Side. Wow, from all over the place—that's ah, pretty good. So, USA, Canada—I don't know. Can you see the results? I'm not sure. No, you can't see the results now. Only we can see the results. I see there. We'll share the results later, of course, uh, on the on the post. So you can see it there. Right now, we're seeing roughly 22% Americans, 51 Europeans, uh, 18 from uh, 8% from the UK, 5% from Africa. And then Brazil and rest of the world, 9%. Well, welcome everyone. This is a very international audience. So, uh, yeah, hang in there. Not, no matter what your current status is, uh, it's great to have you here. I'm going to end the poll and we're going to go into the first talk. Okay. So, uh, Anton, you're first. Uh, delight us. And, uh, you've got seven minutes to dazzle us with your insights. Oh, by the very way, very much good uh, and uh,
5: uh, really great. Uh, sorry,
1: interview. sorry, Anton. Just real quick uh, uh, for the participants. We're going to go seven minutes presentation each and talk, and then we have questions. Okay, I forgot to mention. So you have to hang out and, and listen to seven minutes of of all of us. Uh, and yeah, please, Anton, take it away.
5: There we go. Good. Thanks very much for the introduction and welcome everyone. It's uh, really great to have you from all over the world joining us here this afternoon. The, the theme that I've chosen is really how do we rewire leadership, if you like, to get ready for this very, very different world out there that we're facing. Uh, I think we all realize that uh, what has happened is not something any one of us would have thought about on the 1st of January as we crack the champagne to welcome in the new year. I think the era that we're living in is captured by the essence of this image. We really are in an environment where there's these massive collisions taking place. Collisions between what I call the old world and the new world. If you think of some of these collisions, one of them would be the collision between the carbon energy industry and the new world's uh, renewable energy industry. Massive friction, lots of vested interests, invested capital ranging from billions to trillions of dollars, and the friction between these two collisions. Of course, the most relevant collision right now is the collision between the old world of normality and the new world. And I've seen one of our guests has already asked me the question, will the world ever return to normal? And I guess my response would be, what on earth is normal? I'm not sure that that world will ever return. And, of course, the longer this era continues of the coronavirus threat to the planet, the greater the chances are that that world will never return. So what do we really need to do in the short term? Well, my advice to all the business leaders out there very simply is, for the next three to six months, you have to survive whatever the universe is throwing at us, and we cannot predict what's going to come at us and exactly when. The next phase, Horizon 2, you might want to call it, is the rebuild phase, and that's after three to six months for the next 12 to 18 months, where you regroup your people, reevaluate your entire business, uh, and then establish the platform from which you will develop plans to grow your business two and three years out from there. But understand, I don't believe this is a short-term issue. I think there are much larger issues that will trigger, and we'll unpack a few of those this evening. What it is going to mean, however, is a fundamental set of new rules which leaders will need to understand as we navigate our organizations into the future. These rules will impact on how we govern uh, institutions around the world uh, that regulate trade and globalization, how we think about the future of capitalism, Rules that I think society will impose on us as business leaders on how we measure success in our organizations. I suspect there will be a a much stronger shift away from the old success metrics of EBITDA, ROI, market cap, etc., etc., into a much more wide-ranging, all-encompassing set of success criteria. What it really means for all of us is that we need to fundamentally rewire our brains, We need to recalibrate our personal leadership radar screens of the signals that we're aware of, that we look for, how we connect them, and what stories these signals can tell us. And one of the most important questions you need to start asking yourself in the short term is which of your core business assumptions that were valid in the old world pre-COVID-19 will remain valid in the world post-COVID-19? So these are the assumptions that drive your balance sheet, your profit and loss statement, your business model, your engagement model with your staff, with your customers, and with ecosystems around you. Which of those will remain valid? All of those that won't remain valid post-COVID-19 are what I call toxic because they infuse your thinking today with germs that uh, prevent you from really engaging openly with a very, very different future. And if you think about that element of toxicity that existed in a very large global multinational corporation called Microsoft, What changed from that organization that was under massive pressure to even survive, despite its size and its impact in world markets? It was really struggling. And in came Satya Nadella, a new CEO. And the first thing he did was address the toxicity in the organization from a culture perspective. He really got his leaders to rally around, reestablish the purpose of Microsoft, learn to work together, to trust each other, and to act as one. And after that, he introduced shifts into the business model and the technology platform, et cetera. But we all know that in the last three years, Satya has made a massive difference to that organization. It's bounded back and is now one of the most powerful companies on the planet, or at least it certainly was. And that makes me think back to what happened just a few months ago with Elliot Kipchoge, that runner that broke the two-hour barrier for the marathon. And when you think... What he had done and what he achieved had never, ever been done in history before. It came down to three very important words. Firstly, you have to have the total unequivocal belief that you will succeed and you will do what's never been done before. That's a crucial element in business today, I believe. You have to ignite the desire in your teams to want to do that, and you have to unlock the passion of every one of your people in your organization And across your customer and supplier base. And so I would suggest that all of us as leaders today, if we're going to reimagine our organizations in whatever follows COVID 19, we need to ask of every decision we take from this day on, ask ourselves these five questions Does the decision I'm taking this morning support with empathy our people? They're scared, they're uh, compromised. They don't know what the answers are going to be. Am I helping support them? And, of course, closely followed by your customer base. Secondly, you have to focus on that survival phase. Three to six months from now, will we have cash? Will we create enough liquidity to get through just this phase? Of course, millions of smaller businesses won't, but we have to think about this and do the best we can. Third question is, Are is what we're doing driving automation and digitization? I think we will soon lose the word digital transformation because there's one way of doing business in the future and that's connected virtually in real time with everyone in your entire ecosystem. And of course, coupled with that is the relevance of your people going forward. How do we reskill, retrain and keep them relevant to deliver exciting value to our customers? Is the decision you're taking building strong, enduring, empathetic uh, relationships that are robust and resilient? And finally, Does the decision you're taking actually inspire people, give them energy to see through whatever the short-term COVID crisis is going to throw at us? You know, in the past, we used to look for experts that gave us answers to these sometimes very tough questions. The question is, in the future, there are no experts for the world that lies ahead. So how do we as leaders become creative, adaptive problem explorers? I think now is not the time to look for rapid answers. I'm not sure the answer is that obvious. But let's start asking really, really important questions, and let's explore without Blinkers a whole new, very exciting, but very different future. And it's really interesting when we talk about technology, and I'm sure we'll get into that later on in the session, we need to realize that artificial intelligence, machine learning, and all of these wonderful technology tools cannot do what humans are so utterly brilliant at. They cannot explore the unknown. The future of business, in my view, is at this point in time entirely unknown. It may be that many global corporations that we know today will survive and will be there. And for many, life will continue as it was before the announcement of what happened in Wuhan province. But I think for many, we realize that that future at this point in time is entirely unknown. Let's explore it with amazing human features of curiosity, of empathy, of collaboration, and of human support. Folks, that's it in six and a half minutes. I hope that it's given you some ideas to think about, some questions to recalibrate your thinking about how you can remain relevant in a world that's changing profoundly beneath us every single day. Many thanks. Hey, Anton, thanks very much. That was great. Uh, If you
1: can just give the helm back. Yeah, that's good. All right. Everybody else still here? That's good. Uh, We have 350 people now on the on the feed that was really great uh, somber words also encouraging words thanks very much i'm done that was really great let's move right on and uh, we're going to collect the questions here so keep asking questions use the question button yeah the chat okay i'll look at the chat if i can but if you ask questions it's better if you ask real questions in the in the question box okay let's move to uh, katie Addison from the uk katie please uh, take over the screen
0: Thank you. I hope you can uh, all see that Okay. Great. Well, I think what we probably need to start by acknowledging is, you know, an unpleasant truth, which is that, you know, we are probably already heading for a global recession. And in fact, it could even spill into a depression. You know, governments worldwide are going to come out the other side of this massively indebted. And in order to service that debt, they are going to be depending on growth. Um, Now, if we look back to the Great Depression, the way that we addressed that need for growth was doubling down on consumerism. Uh, it was a citizen's duty to consume and consume as much as they possibly could. And I think there's a real danger now that without a serious plan, we're going to end up falling back on that, which, of course, from a sustainability perspective, is going to be absolutely disastrous. Uh, you know, as Anton mentioned, you know, decarbonisation strategies are already at risk of creating vast areas of stranded assets. And I'm not sure the government's really had any plan for that pre-COVID-19. And I think their capacity to deal with it post-COVID-19 you know is is necessarily reduced Uh, liquidity is going to be a serious concern we've seen more and more financial institutions undertaking not to invest in unsustainable industries but i think those decisions are going to come under real pressure you know in the coming months and years and uh, industries are going to be providing governments with really really difficult choices that they're going to have to make so i think we should be making a differentiation here between pure growth and actually progress. And from my perspective, I think this is the moment for a concerted move towards circular business transformations. Uh, I think it is a huge, probably multi-trillion dollar business opportunity and multinational organisations worldwide are actually quite advanced in their thinking and their planning around the circular economy. Uh, As I say, it's not just uh, a good thing for sustainability. It's actually a really big economic opportunity as well. Uh, The other thing I would pick up is is the digital bubble. I think the digital bubble is going to kind of burst a bit. Um, I think that the first casualties are likely to be these digital transformation programs. I don't know if you've uh, noticed that last year, the uh, narrative from the McKinsey's and the BCG's went from you all must have a digital transformation program to why aren't your digital transformation programs working? Uh, and I think the truth is an awful lot of CEOs have invested heavily uh, in corporate accelerators and innovation departments, etc. And uh, in my experience, a lot of boards have been getting quite nervous that these are not focused enough, these investments. They're struggling to really justify you know, a return and a value. And I think that those investments are likely co- to contract quite sharply. And Actually, that brings in an interesting uh, area around innovation and startups and all these other things. We've already seen seed funding in the US uh, to startups really falling just in the first quarter of this year. I think that's going to accelerate. But also, if you look at the entrepreneurs, you know, the consultants, the startups, they've been disproportionately hit so far by COVID. And I think you know this is something we haven't explored yet because an awful lot of people who in the past may have said, you know, I've got a great idea, I'm going to form a startup in the face of this terrible. Disruption, and bear in mind that large businesses, you know, have been talking about uncertainty and disruption for a long time. But I think this is the first time it's really filtered down to very small businesses and individuals. And I think we may well see a lot of these people say, "You know what? I quite fancy a nice, comfy, secure job, some indoor, you know, work with no heavy lifting, and some security for a few years." And I think that speaks again to what Anton was mentioning—the fact that over the next decade, we're going to start looking at different metrics around business, the emergence of, of what I call the. Me. We've already heard about some of this you know, in the run up to COVID but I think that's, that's going to become more important the way that people have dealt with their employees during uh, this crisis you know, is going to define the relationships they have going forward. It's what I call The move from zero, some game, you know, to uh, to hero, some deck, some game. Uh, Another thing I would pick up is bigger data, but not just bigger data, actually a reframing of how we look at data, because COVID has been a masterclass in the importance of data, whether it's been testing and modeling uh, of the disease or logistics. And it's all been focused around protecting people. So I think that's really interesting because most of the time we encounter data because it's trying to sell us something. Tim Cook of Apple a couple of years ago talked about the data industrial complex. Actually, that's not quite correct. It's a marketing industrial complex and it's extremely efficient. And I think what we're increasingly realizing in this pandemic is that the kind of systems and expertise that are being used to sell us something are actually incredibly important. And we should be using them really as part of our societal uh, and as a result, I think that the collaborations that government has been forced to make with public, private, you know, and other entities could form the basis of new what I call collaborative regulatory ecosystems using things like federation and blockchain, which can redefine the way that societies use and benefit from data. The other thing I would pick up is resilience. Uh, We give globalization a big kicking, but actually it's not always globalization that's caused the problem. It's rationalization, rationalization aimed at growth. And digital has been a major part of that. Digital has reduced intermediaries. It's created global efficiencies, but it's also reduced resilience in a lot of cases. It's created concentration of dependence. And with the what I believe is the, you know, Upcoming internet bifurcation, that I think is inevitable. You know, this is really important because it's highlighted COVID has highlighted systemic issues. We have systemic risk. And uh, I think for businesses, resilience is going to be a really, really important thing going forward. And then finally, uh, I would say not singularity, but liminality. You know, in my view, I think for too long, the future has been very narrowly framed in terms of exponential technological progress. And that has really disempowered a vast majority of people and, in fact, a lot of businesses. And I think COVID should be a reset on that because the 2020s as a decade, it's not going to be the singularity, despite what Ray Kurzweil would like us all to believe, that isn't going to happen in 2029. What we're really facing is the beginning of a liminal period, a liminality, an in-between space where we've dismantled an awful lot of the old stuff, but we haven't actually defined what's going to take its place. It's really important this critical period because the linear consumer economy—it was a great startup—it's not going to stay, not going to scale. And I think it's time for us in the change industry, you know, which all of us as futurists are, to not just Promise technological singularity, but to deliver a real blueprint for progress. You know, the global economy has to pivot like startups do, and I hope it pivots to what I call the circular economy. So, what does that mean for leaders and organisations? Well, uh, you know, I've taken pivot to identify purpose, interdependence, value, and values. Openness and trust, and I think for leaders particularly, I would urge you to look strategically at uh, my friend uh, John Hager at uh, Deloitte talking about zoom in, zoom out approaches to strategy. What do I want to be in ten years? How do I do that in the next six months? And then keep revising. Also, vision, breadth, emotional intelligence, and causative leadership. You know, being a leader beyond control, really inspiring people rather than trying to take control. And on that note, I'm delighted to hand back to get.
1: Okay. Wow, I love that. I love the pivot definition. I also love uh, making up new words. Liminality, I love that. Not singularity, very good. So it's really great. That was that was pretty amazing. By the way, I forgot to mention in the beginning, You know, we are all members of uh, the Futures Agency, which is a, a virtual outfit that, that is doing keynote speaking and future advice around the world. But we all have our own different places to where we do this. We'll talk more later about how we do this. And we have lots of questions queued up. So, I am gonna go into my own presentation. So this is what I like to best, right? Just kidding. uh showing you my fancy slides. So here we are, okay, let me try share my screen on this, okay. All right, here we are, okay. So I call this the great transformation. I mean, I, I've uh, thought about this a lot the last couple of days, but what do we call this? The Corona crisis, the whatever crisis, the, the Great Depression, again, take two. I call this the Great Transformation. And I think we're going into a world to where most of the things that we've thought about in the past are no longer true, right? They can be toxic, like Anton said, very well put, right? Uh, and I just launched a new website today called postcoronafuture.com. We, <laughs> you can read more about this. It's just a part of my blog, but it's... You know, this is kind of the theme, right? If you look at this graph, this is from Mahela McGowan, who I follow on the internet, just saw this yesterday and we converted it quickly into, uh, into something that we want to see. So it's basically, if you're looking at this, you know, you could see that the corona thing is an accelerant, right? It's changing the way that we're going to change pretty much everything. Uh, and many of these things are painful, but they're probably still good, right? I mean, basically here, uh, looking at this scenario and saying, okay, uh, we're going to see a total shift in consciousness in the way that we think about things. And I think this will redefine us and it will redefine work. You know, I'm focusing on work in my little session here. But first, uh, part number one, it's it's becoming normal to work from home, right? We will just have to learn how to do that. And that that has been in my cards for a long time, but I haven't really gotten good at it. But now we are. Uh, the gig economy will explode. We're going to be doing things all over the place and virtual places we need to have new, entirely new social structures to support the gig economy and to take away the expectation. Lifelong learning, right? Constant studying. That's what we're doing now. We're constantly studying, doing new things. Everything is online. I mean, that takes a different mindset, right? a shift in consciousness. And cities will change as a result because, you know, we don't have to go anymore and we can still go and meet. That's going to come back, I hope, right? But really quite simple is that this shift is humongous and it's going to mean failure to adapt means failure to exist. Right here on the left on the screen, you, you see what I used to do is speak in front of people in real places, real people. And now I'm on the right here with my uh, headset, not wearing the Corona mask in, in this instant. But uh, I think this is an old saying from an economist, failure to adapt means failure to exist. I do feel very strong about that. I think also, we have to figure out how we're gonna adapt and what can we deliver as value to our clients and customers. I also feel certain about this you know, machines are going to become intelligent parentheses, but not like humans. It is the human only stuff that's our future. And there's so many of those things. Machines don't feel, machines don't have intuition. They can't project the future. AI certainly didn't help us in the process of predicting this misery that we're in right now. It didn't predict Trump. It didn't help with uh, the Brexit and so on. But machines will start doing the routine work. So our destination is this, right? We're going to go from doing just a little bit of the routine work to do almost none of the routine work because machines will do it. Very important here, not everything that looks like a routine is a routine <laughs> and not every routine should be given to machines. Right? But clearly this is where we're going if you're looking at this graph uh, from The Economist uh, about five years ago, I think. Right? So already quite clear, non-cognitive, non-routine cognitive work is exploding and, of course, non-routine manual work, carpenters, dancers, priests, you know, that sort of thing. And futurists, I hope, right? Cognitive work. So this is really where human values become invaluable. I use this graph to show this interplay between, you know, what I think is what I call the the ang- the uh, algorithms, the human things, and the algorithms. Right? These are things that machines can't do, and I think that's going to be where our future is of work. Especially now, you now we're going to go in a world where being human uh, is 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 a very very important thing more than ever before, right? The more technology we use, the more we can and must become human right? and learn the human-only skills. And that's going to have great impact on education, training, and learning. Uh, and all of that, of course, is now being transported in the online environment anyway. Right? And how do you learn how to be emotionally intelligent? Right? On the Internet, that's doubtful. Right? Big discussion what's going to happen there. Work-life balance, right? I mean, we're all going to work in so many situations that we could very easily always be working. I I always work from home, so sometimes I do 12, 15 hours a day. But it's very hard to figure out how to keep work and life uh, nicely separated so that we can remain human also with our private life. Um, So I think the bottom line of, of this short presentation here is I think this could be heaven or it could be hell. We could end up in a future to where everything that we had expected is no longer happening, uh, where we have economic distress, you know, the, the depression of, of a recession and so on. But we could also have a better future when we think about using our foresight that can be sort of accelerated for this. And this kind of graph kind of shows provocatively, you know, the, the key question will be, what do we want? You know, Tim Koch was mentioned earlier. He said six months ago in a conference that basically technology can do great things. But it doesn't want to do great things. And, and the key question is what do we want? Right? So, this, you know, are we talking about extreme capitalism? Are we talking about humanism like we have in Europe? Are we talking about technology, AI, data, surveillance? Right? I realize this is sort of, you know, just a black or white uh, scenario. And, you know, will Europe take the lead? It seems to me like Europe is kind of taking the lead on this global debate now. And I would love to see what Americans are saying. this but I think we may as well see a new renaissance in the U S right now. It looks very dark, right? It looks like the epicenter of bad is going to happen in America, but is there a new renaissance that depends on so many factors and we can debate quite some time. I think, you know, looking at this animation, right? Clearly, you know, the carbon tax that's coming right after this discussion about how we're going to get out of this crisis is really quite clear We're going to go into a future where carbon tax is an everyday thing, but some people are predicting 100 million new jobs in this dramatic shift to sustainable ecosystems. That's where the new jobs will come from. We have to fund them. We will also see similar boost of jobs in the biosciences and healthcare and public media and services, and we have to decide what the funding is. Just like right now, we have to decide what do we fund to change. So I want to end on this slide that shows this is our future, right? As Anton and also Katie was saying, we have to collaborate. We have to adapt. We have to reinvent. We have to question our assumptions. Because I really think that the future is better than we think. I know that's a really kind of a strange thing to say right now, because it looks all like really, really difficult, right? But I think we're we're at a point to where we can say, okay, is the light at the end of the tunnel? Read my post on this uh on the postcoronafuture.com. You can now see the post I posted on this yesterday. So sticking with our paradigm of not overdoing the presentations. I am going back, right? And going into the last round here. Thanks for enduring me on this. And now Lisa Lotte Link so from Copenhagen, please take over.
3: I will take over the stage. Welcome to this session and I'm speaking from two weeks uh, lockdown in Denmark where all the schools have been closed and I think I need to speak from a people's perspective. Now we've heard the business, the government perspective but how much is the corona crisis actually changing us as people and I think uh, when we look back this is going to be one of the biggest revolutions in time. I'll talk about two trends and one taboo and before I start, I'll say as a futurist, I never say whether the future is black bright or black. I say interesting, exciting. So if you keep that mindset while listening to my presentation, you have uh, managed to become a futurist yourself. So, so please, no value judgments, just uh, lean back. Uh, As Gerd was talking about the exponential development, I think that's uh, really interesting. As a futurist, I spent so much time explaining people that things were uh, developing at an exponential rate. Now, with the corona, we all understand exponential. And I actually think that can be really useful when we want to explain climate change later on, that even though it seems really far away, uh, is it going to hit me? Suddenly, we understand when somebody is saying, well, it's actually melting uh, exponential, we understand. Likewise, with the speed of change in terms of new technologies. Also, um, we are changing right now from this uh, fake news uh, time where we use the social media to get news and information. Somehow, Corona is just too serious we want to listen to real scientists talking about how does this look. So here we have a transition moving, I think, from fake news to scientists. Well, let me get to my two trends and uh, my taboo. The first uh, trend I want to talk to uh, about at home is the way we move from hospitals to health centers. None of us want to go to a hospital right now unless we are almost dying. So uh, we really, really make certain that we don't have to go by measuring ourselves taking our temperatures using all kinds of apps at the moment we are really into sharing this data in order to to stay healthy and that is definitely going to continue we might have well have a chip under our skin we might well uh, tell our relatives you know uh, i'm absolutely fine grandmother you can see me now or our boss will know about our health data not uh, in order to diagnose, but in order to also prevent us from falling ill. And I think uh, we might be worried. I saw in some of the Q&A that the government is taking over this data. I think it's more interesting to look at how we will give this data to private businesses ourselves because we have a short-term interest in sharing this because we want to stay healthy for much longer. So here I really see a huge trend in everybody building their own home hospitals in the years to come and that goes for uh, the rational stuff of medication but it also goes for all the irrational stuff of buying herbal medication maybe sleeping in a pyramid Uh, so that is going to be really really interesting to see how uh, that is going to transform our homes especially also with an aging population uh, everywhere. And the corona is not going to go away anywhere soon. So how do you prepare for the fall coming up? I think survival kits, you know, even power generators, so we don't lose our Uh, Wi-Fi. And and maybe local produce as well. So lots and lots of stuff happening in that health area. The other one, uh, Gerd talked a little bit about, is the other huge revolution right now, that we can explore through the eyes of our children. Or if you know any teachers, they are going to a massive revolution right now because we have been talking about going online with a learning system for a long time. I think already in the 50s, they found out that the forgetting curve is huge. After 14 days, you have forgotten 95% of a one-hour lecture. So it's uh, much more interesting to make micro-learning, adaptive learning individualized learning adaptive learning means that it knows exactly uh how much i know and when i'm starting to forget and then when moving me to the next level the people who are working with this saying in 10 years time we don't need exams at all we can reduce uh for instance medical studies with one year and people have much higher grade because it's adapting to your way of learning my own son he's uh learning from school, he's doing his A-levels and he was really fed up with all these kids on the first row, putting their hands up. They were always being asked and he's quite happy now because the teacher is like, so can anybody answer? And you can write down in your own speed in the commentary field. So finally now he's uh, getting some fame for getting the answer right. So I think when we go back, uh, we will have this global knowledge of what actually makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And it's not going to go back because now the teachers have had their hands dirty and it will transform them, transform them forever. So we are done discussing should we have screen time with our kids, should the kids bring screens to school or not. We are starting to have a much more sophisticated discussion on what should actually go on, while we use them. And also, hopefully, this can free up a lot of time to become more social which leads me to the big taboo of our time, which I call the feedback crisis. And that's a bit of a paradox. We're talking about digitalization. We measure everything. We rate everything. I think Bridgewater. They rate each other every time they have a talk. And they even have an algorithm su- suggesting what teams uh, you should put together so you don't pick the usual group of people. All that is well and fine. For a long time, we have actually stopped speaking to each other. If you walk down any big city, everybody have their stuff in the ears. They're somewhere else. We don't call each other anymore. We send each other text messages. We have a little bit of Q&A at the end. Um, and very soon we'll have these chatbots. And they will be very good at predicting what we want to do next. And they will enhance our patterns. Just like if you listen to Spotify, you get more of the same music. They will all the time put us into the same bubble. But as Gad was talking about, and, and Kate as well, what do we lead to? Well, we all talked about this. It's about posing the nice questions, the stuff we don't know, we don't know, we can't live without. And that's not something you can do on your own. You can get irritated, you can get scared, but you need an interpersonal relationship in order to address the real taboos, which very often is about training a new competence, which very often is about doing something you're really, really bad at. I want to say that before this uh, conference, I wasn't very good at Zoom. So Gerd has actually been spending one hour with me and it felt awful. I felt so stupid. And we have to get used to feeling really, really, really stupid all the time. And uh, the only one who likes change is a wet baby so it is going to be a big challenge but promise me say interesting exciting put your hands out so your mind will believe in it and then i promise you everything will be okay thank you
1: wow that was amazing thank you i could talk to you guys forever so let me put let me put you back in the gallery view here so we can see everyone. Yeah, becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? That's been said many times before. And I'm not a stranger to that. I've been very uncomfortable actually doing stuff online because I, I I don't feel the energy of people here. You know? I used to be a musician. I need to see who's out there grooving, right? And anyway, so we have lots and lots of questions. Uh, this is really great to have you here. We're going to try to get through all of this. We don't really have a hard stop, but we're basically looking at roughly half an hour or so for the questions. Uh, the conversation will continue afterwards with email and so on. Uh, stick around, please, to the end, all of the uh, 5,000 people out there, because we're going to have a poll, right? Several polls about important issues. So please do stick around to the end. Uh, let's go into the questions. Uh, Soha, Master of Ceremony, mm-hmm. where do we start?
4: So I think um, uh, Lisa uh, touched a bit on, upon this question, but I would like to get the feedback from the other speakers. So as we concede increasing power to governments for our safety, how do we ensure we get it back?
1: Yeah, yeah. I take a quick step and then, and uh, maybe Anton. Yeah, you
5: you already started breathing, so go ahead, Anton. Please. (laughs) I glow green when I breathe. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, I think it's a very interesting question and very topical because I've just discovered in our country, which is going on total lockdown in the next few hours, that the mobile phone operators have agreed with the government to give access to all our mobile movement data. And the purpose of that, of course, is to track who we're seeing, who's known to be a COVID carrier, etc. So on the one hand, absolutely beneficial to society. On the other, really, really, really scary. Also interesting that earlier today, Apple released a new upgrade to their operating system on their mobile devices, and it's a major shift towards giving control of cookies and all of these things that follow you around uh, to, the, to the actual user. I think in the future that society will claim its privacy back from governments. I mean, in, in, in certainly in Western demo- democratic constructs where uh, we can exercise a voice and we can uh, start a movement, I think society will become much more involved in determining who controls the end data. So yeah, I like I'm, to I'm
1: think...
5: also. V- I'm also very... Uh, sorry, I'm sorry to break in. It's the
1: microphone just switching on and off here. But um, I'm also very concerned about this. You know, this this corona thing may end up being the biggest excuse for surveillance that we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and this is happening in every country except for maybe here in Switzerland or maybe in Denmark, I suppose, right? Uh, oh, no, it's happening but, in
3: Denmark, too. We're yeah. using the phones to track uh, different areas. I think uh, we haven't seen in, enough yet. Very soon, we'll have mind reading. So if, if you think about something, get. I will have it in my own uh, computer. So uh, we well, have I only I just never begun. I never
1: think about much so it's I'm I'm safe there <laughs> I don't think very much. But 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 you know this is I think this is a huge concern maybe Katie can also comment on this but Yeah but I have got I like, I think a, this is really big.
0: a slightly different view on this because when you look at uh, you know my my kids are uh, Millennial gen Zs uh they already share a massive amount of data with Google and Facebook and Amazon. Because they have been brought up to learn that if you share something you get something back. And I think the question we should be asking is why are we all so concerned about sharing data with a democratically elected government when we actually share data with a corporation <laughs> over which we have zero control? So I think what K D are you bring you
1: you're bringing the key question in here, right? Who do we trust, right? Yeah, do we trust yeah. the government? Exactly. And can they can we keep on trusting our government, right? Right. I mean, look what happened in Turkey, right? It's like, yeah, big deal, right?
0: But there's, it's also a control issue because, uh, you know, we've and I think that the COVID stuff plays into this because, uh, OK, we're at an early stage globally with this pandemic. But what we appear to have seen is that some of these more authoritarian approaches have actually been successful uh, at certainly at stopping the first wave of the virus. And I think that's a very important thing, you know, that, that we've all seen globally. And it's very important that we don't conflate that, you know, with just handing over control, you know, to, to an autocratic, you know, government or whatever. But I do think we have to look at the generations that are coming up. As I say, these digital native generations have been trained to actually give data in exchange for something. And if we can develop societal platforms that allow us to use this data where it's transparent, and this is where the radical transparency comes in, then I think that could be a hugely beneficial thing going forward, not at all Mm -hmm. taking away from the fact that we need to be, you know, Always mindful, but I do think there are opportunities.
5: It's interesting, Katie, when you look at what China is doing with its social scoring, and Mm -hmm. if you don't have a social score above a certain level, you can't buy a train ticket, etc. I mean, philosophically, I think the notion of gamifying citizenship could have massive benefits. So if you help an old lady cross the road safely, you get 50 points. If you pay your tax on time, you get a thousand points, and every 10,000, you get a 3% reduction in tax. Uh, the uh, problem, I mean, of course, with the Chinese system is it's not transparent and no one knows the rules right. of the game.
0: exactly. And, I think and of course, the there's no right thing. to appeal. Yeah, you've got to. And that's why I'm saying in a democratic society, you know, really, if you look at us sharing data with Facebook now, that is akin, you know, in my mind to actually sharing it with an autocratic government because it's completely non-transparent what that's being used for. Um, And and that's what changes. If you look at somewhere like, I mean, I have people saying, uh, I do a lot of work in Asia and I love traveling there. Uh, And there are people who, you know, don't like uh, Duterte, for example, and his policies, you know, when he came into the Philippines. And I had a couple of Filipino friends say to me, yeah, but, you know, you don't live somewhere which is you know absolutely torn apart by violence so it's very easy you know as a you know well-educated you know western democratic products of you know that kind of society to say that's a terrible thing but actually for people in countries on the ground where these things are really personal and immediate to them they may have a slightly different view and i think we've got to be really attuned to that
3: i think yeah but I think you know
1: that, okay, okay yeah and, please <laughs> yeah the, the thing that i, I know think well, is really crazy
3: that we have um, we have stopped uh, traveling as you know for a long time now, and we probably will stop traveling. But I think also what Kate is saying, we are actually having a fantastic chance to become global citizens in that every time I turn on the news, I hear how do they do in South Korea, how do they do in China, how do they do in uh, Cape Town. I travel around the world every evening, and I think when we come out of this corona crisis, we have all been to the same war, and we have all been standing on the same side. And I think there will be a civil movement who is very interested in using the best experiences to get something better out of people. Not more, but actually something better out of both the people and the planet. And it's a very powerful group that has started communicating with each other.
1: Yeah. Well, let's wrap up this topic, Here go to The next question, I, I just want to add one thing. I think the key question really is the trust question, right? Do I trust the government? Do I trust people that act on our behalf? And can I trust them going forward? Uh, no one Yuval Harari just published a piece on the FT about what's happening in Israel, you know, going to a surveillance co- country because of this. right? And probably not going back. This is the key question. Right? So mm-hmm. let's table this conversation. It's very, very good, but it's obviously a passionate topic. Uh, Soha, take the next question, please.
4: So I'm combining some questions together. Uh, so there's a question about the skills that leaders of the new world will need. And um, how can we train ourselves to ask more urgent questions? And then specifically for KD, a lot of votes for the question about causative, if you can deep dive into causative leadership.
0: Do you want me to pick that up first? Uh, When when I talk about causative leadership, it comes from it it comes from the root of the word leader, actually, which is a Lots of these things come from Latin. And that doesn't actually I think it's sort of Germanic, but it's a, a very old form of verb, which is called a causative verb. And it actually means to lead means to cause someone to follow you. So I think that's a really critical thing that's got lost in all the, you know, management leadership handbooks. Um, I mentioned EQ and these two things are very closely linked. I think it was Eisenhower who said, you know, the art of leadership is getting something, someone to do something, you know, <laughs> that they don't realize you want them to do. Um, it is leadership beyond control because the critical reason for the failures of uh, so much digital transformation programs is because they fail to actually look at the, the most important thing, which is culture. And culture really is very closely related to leadership. So I think you need far more autonomous workplaces, and that takes a very different kind of leadership style to enable those, because it means that instead of hierarchy, you have to be ready to, you know, be part of uh, an agile organisations, self-organising teams, actually organising to solve problems, and that really is giving people the autonomy to go and do that. So when I say causative leadership. Uh, I, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about creating an environment with people. And that is a cultural thing that causes them to actually almost, you know, lead themselves. Uh, and I think, it, you know, it's, it's not completely unrelated to, to traditional attitudes to leadership, but I think when you actually delve down into the word itself and you find it, it is, you know, it, it is a causative thing in itself, uh, I, I think that encapsulates it quite well. So that's, that's really what I mean by that.
5: Great. Anybody Anybody else? There's an amazing story by the late professor Samantra Ghoshal. He talks about the context that leaders create within their organizations. And he said organizations have a smell. They either smell like um, he came from Calcutta. So he used that as the example. And he said, imagine Calcutta in summer at uh, 36 degrees Celsius and 110% humidity. No matter how much you want to go and run, you just cannot. You just It makes you lazy. Whereas if you go for a walk in the forest of Fontainebleau on a Sunday morning, you're exhausted from a tough week and all you want to do is go for a a gentle stroll. He says the context in the forest means you can't stroll. You have to run, skip, hop, and jump. And organizations either smell like Calcutta or Fontainebleau, I guess. And it's the context that leaders create through the leadership role models they set, their actual behaviors, their empathy, their clarity of purpose and getting people to rally around that. And all of these create... Uh, the kind of organizations where people just want to stand up in the morning and do more than is expected because they love what they're doing and what they're trying to do actually has a relevant meaning in life which they can align with.
0: Absolutely. Totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. I yeah, think, so on
3: my part, okay.
5: yeah, let, let me, uh,
0: yeah, just I
3: want, think we are quick. going uh, very much from, from headhunting to team hunting. I think one of the big flaws is that we do not get enough feedback, especially as managers. I know that now they're getting really clever apps to help them and purpose can only take you so far. But the world is getting extremely complex. And there it's so important to also being able to relate and employ other people than yourself. And that takes a very specific uh, emotional muscle to handle and uh, I think that can be dealt with by, by employing, for instance, leaders in groups of two. Otherwise, we are very likely to see the same thing as usual.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, I, th- I think we're seeing a shift from this idea of IQ, you know, knowing stuff, having knowledge, knowing logic and all these things to EQ. And that's been discussed for a long time. And, and that's also going to change in our universities in the future. Uh, machines will have IQ. They can look up stuff very quickly, but, but to have EQ, it's quite difficult for a machine, right? To have foresight, intuition, emotions, understanding, storytelling. Yeah. So it's, I I think this is where our intelligence is, is, is vastly superior and will last for quite some time, maybe 50 years or so until machines can possibly fake that, right? But we have to, we have to shift our skills over to this area. We have to teach our kids how to be humans, you know, to be a mensch. As would you know, say, good. Right? I,
0: I, I would say that we're, we're seeing a decoupling, actually. We're seeing a decoupling of intelligence from consciousness. And I think we talk a lot about smart organizations. Actually, intelligence, we can do now. We can do that. You don't have to be human to be intelligent. But actually, to be conscious and to be conscientious, that still requires humanity. And that's why I think, you know, smart organizations, no. Conscious organizations, yes.
3: I think one thing that is going to make us more conscious, Kate, is that we will have the blockchain and this uh, coronavirus is actually helping us to have local teams sitting all over the place. And then you can have your uh, intelligence delivered. So the whole need for hierarchy and leaders, as we used to know, is also in a sense going to evaporate.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I think one of the questions in here is about digital transformation. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, I, I really think, you know, calling this whole area now the great transformation. I think this other transformation is that we will not no longer believe that just using technology is going to make everything different, right? It doesn't. It's a tool, right? You can have a hammer and I can go on the street and kill somebody with a hammer or I can build a house, right? It's not the fault of the hammer. And this is what AI does, for example, right? I can kill people with AI. I can build a house with AI, these are just tools, but we have to transform to look into this uh, in a whole different way than we have in the last 10 years, which is, you know, how to create, make more money, create more profit, have more growth, right? This is over, right? This idea of this ob- obsession with growth,
5: you know, that's where it's a dead end street, right? Yeah. Any Good. Part? I want to just answer the second part of that question, which was about how do we ask better questions, And it's really interesting when you look at some of the work that Elon Musk has done across, must be seven different industries now. And he's achieved, whether you like him or not, and whether you agree with what he does, smoke on television or not, is not the point. He distills a set of very complex issues down to their very, very simple fundamental principles. And at that point, he gets the aha breakthrough that then changes the game forever. So when he shoots rockets up at you know 10% of the NASA cost of a rocket, it's because he's really deeply understood what is that one thing that drives the entire business model around sending rockets into space. Um, and he's done that across multiple industries. He strips away the noise that we call business, but it's actually just busyness. And he gets down to the simple principles that drive the customer need, the customer experience, and then he solves for that. Strip away the complexity, strip away the nonsense. At the end of the day, business is about someone with a need, someone with an ability to supply that need. They meet, they agree a price. That is the moment of business. It's that simple. We've built this massive set of processes and standard operating procedures that just make it way too complex. And we think that's what leadership is about. Is managing all that nonsense. Uh, well, it's not.
1: And of, co- of course, this may be one of the things that, that puts America back into the spotlight, right? The, what I call the new renaissance. Uh, it's this idea of saying, well, you know, this is what the culture is in America, right? Is to, to strip the stuff, get down the wall and reinvent. Very hard for us to do in Europe, right? Because we're always thinking about all kinds of other things, right? <laughs> uh, and I think this is the challenge. This is the hope I see for America. I lived there 17 years. You know, this utter reinvention because now is the time to do so, this pioneering experiment. Let's have hope, you know. Go to the next question, please. Soha.
4: Okay. There are lots of questions about digital transformation. And, um, okay, there's one specifically for you, how, how digital transformation programs are not working. I think um, Katie answered that. What do you consider being the root cause for this lack of successful transformation? But this was for Would you like to give a comment on
1: that? Well, just real quick. I think, you know, I think Peter Drucker said once, uh, maybe somebody was riffing off Peter Drucker, uh, a culture uh, eats technology for breakfast. Right? I think he actually said culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? But I would say culture Culture eats technology for breakfast. This is the number one reason why companies aren't transforming because the culture doesn't support it, Yeah. They get a fancy software, they get a fancy futurist or whoever to come and speak about this. And but there's no culture of transformation. Right? People aren't helping each other transforming. They're not allowed to ask questions. You know, I, I can't tell you how many projects I've done with clients where we go in and we talk about transforming into the future, understanding the future. But it turns out that the very basic level of communication and how you actually work together to create new things is already forbidden in the company, right? It's like reminds me seven years ago, I did a session for a big media company that says, how do we use social media to, uh, to sell our content, right? Turns out I went there uh, and I talked to people. Turns out social media was forbidden. It was locked out on their entire system, right? Nobody could actually get to it, right? And this is the kind of question that I you know, I get this a lot. Like, you know, people think of transformation as being technology, but it's not, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's It's in our minds. It's a future-ready mindset,
5: as I call it. Good. I think another reason is that often uh, digital transformation is about paving the cow path. In other words, let's take an existing set of procedures and digitize them or automate them. And again, we don't stop and reflect and ask the question, what are we actually trying to achieve? What actually needs to be done and what's the end destination? And then we start from that point.
1: Yeah, the question I said earlier, what do we want to be, right? What do we want our future to be? What is our preferred future? Because I think, you know, it's really funny to see, I think in in 20 years, we can probably be anything, right? We can extend our life forever. We can go to other planets, right? This is all, uh, what do we want, Do we want to be human? Do we want to be superhuman? Do we want to be God, right? I mean, I think it's all going to be possible, right? We can change our bodies. We can do all these things. The question is, what do we want? And I think we have to get on the same page. And now in this great uh, transformation, the Corona crisis, this is the key question, right? What do we want when we reboot, right? And and, and how are we going to get there? And, and how is government going to help us get there if they do help us? And, and this is the existential question that we have to ask now. What do we actually want from this? The yeah, real I problem think, is, of course, we've always
5: the... said the future should be a matter of choice and not chance. Hmm. But the problem is to make the big post-COVID-19 uh, choices is you need strong leadership. And where in the world is a huge leader emerging to guide the world across maybe the biggest question of the century, maybe forever even? Um, and that's what gives me uh, sleepless nights, is that where are those global, either uh, political or business leaders that are brave and strong and robust and able to have this huge conversation with conviction, passion, and empathy?
0: You know, I'd like to pick that up because I think that's an incredibly important point. We're talking about uh, the need for ecosystems and collaboration, and yet we still have this this need for a leader. And I think what's fascinating is that, ideologically, so many of the leaders that we have are really bound up in things that they can't really break out of. You know, if you talk about a policy, if it has shades of socialism or it has, you know, shades of something else, people can't adopt it. And what I see is an emerging role for conveners, really. And I was quite interested at uh, Davos this year to see the the British Prince of Wales, Prince Charles, who for decades has been a huge environmental campaigner, you know, and, and is actually you know, a completely neutral guy, if you can be neutral as the British royal family. But you, you know what I mean? He doesn't come from a political party, etc. And he's standing there talking about, you know, things like circular economy and all these things. And I'm thinking, this is really interesting because we've said for years, you know, what kind of role do people like royal families? And, and you know, what kind of role do they have? But what they do have is incredible influence and they can play convening roles. And I think, actually, it's going to be interesting to see where conveners appear, and I also think business has a bigger part to play than, than we think because it always used to be that if you want to change the world, you went into politics. Actually, people who want to change the world now are going into business and technology businesses. And the kind of ethical standards we are holding businesses to, we're not holding politicians to anymore. So think if we look at ecosystems, collaboration, conveners. Maybe we don't need big political leaders. Maybe we just need a consensus globally with some of those conveners that can start moving us to the right place and bring politicians in.
3: I think we are seeing this big change in politics as well. When we grew up, you know, it was waiting for Bruce Willie or Arnold Schwarzenegger. We sat there passively watching our TV screen, waiting for the hero to turn up and save the day. And that's just not what it works like anymore. We had a generation of gamers who are used to collaborate, who are used to contribute. As you said, Kate, we have influencers. So I think the power is going to emerge in many places. I just looked at the Q&A and I understand that a lot of you are also sitting in some really uh, inconvenient and unfortunate uh, places around the world. And I understand you will be worried for a civil war and i think it's important also to look at the taboos right now everybody's on a high we want to solve this we have the the humanity and i'm i'm really proud to say that that the world seems to as at large to move in the same direction but i think looking a few weeks in we could definitely see some big clashes emerging uh, especially once the economic hits uh, the fan uh, then hopefully we have other values than, than just uh, money. And hopefully we'll have the caring part, even though we have now been in a long period of time where we haven't been able to talk to each other. We haven't been able to hug each other. And body language says a lot. So when you walk down the street and you have two meters of different uh, distance, people don't talk to each other anymore mm-hmm. either. So, so we are in a very Special situation. So I think it's, uh, I love the, the fact that Gerd is actually making some future scenarios because I think this is really where scenarios uh, come into place.
1: Yeah, I th- you know, I think the, yeah, right now it, it tends to look a little bit dark sometimes. Like, you know, if you're looking at the US, for example, right now, which, which is very likely to be the absolute global epicenter of, of this crisis uh, for several reasons. Um, then I think this is the time for us to, to talk, to collaborate, to work together, to prevent the worst cases, to help each other, to figure out what the next step is, to assist your neighbors, to, to make sure that we build a new way of communicating, right? This is the transformation that, that I think we all have in common. And this is not going to be easy. I think all of us, you know, I, myself, I face a, re, uh, a year without revenue, right? Basically. <laughs> right? Oh. And, and that's... Yeah, yeah. So, we yeah, are, me somebody, oh. I'm just kidding. Join uh, the club. <laughs> why do you, why should you be different? Right. So, so now we, now we really have to think about this, you know, which way it's going. And, and, uh, I think if we, do we have a raised hand or something like that? We can probably get somebody from the audience to come in. Let's take one question. In the meantime, if you want to actually speak, use your audio, use your video. Oh, we have a hand, but, uh you better be you better be speaking well and not calling us from the bus <laughs> somewhere. Uh so let's get this person that has raised the hand. Who has raised the hand? Uh, Soha, can you get I that person into me the me. my end. Somebody just raised the hand. Yeah, but well, don't be shy. Uh let's take the next question while you're getting ready to raise your hand. There's a tool on Zoom, I think it's in the upper right corner, where you can raise the hand, okay? um And that, oh, okay. Here we got somebody raising the hand, but they go very, very quickly. Can you see the raised hand? <laughs> no, uh,
4: I cannot see them, but no. I can ask one question to maybe... Ah, yeah,
1: okay. Uh, no, I got it here. I, I got it, oh, Ricardo, Ri- <laughs> Ricardo. No, he's gone. They go very quickly. The raised hands, uh, <laughs> ra- Ricardo, ra- raise your hand again, please. This is the software trying to, for us to be. Neil okay, right. per- Ricardo. Here we go, Ricardo. Allowed to talk. You're in, Ricardo. Are you there? Yeah? Me
4: too.
1: Ricardo, are you there? You're, you're live. Unmute, I will unmute you. Are you there? I'm okay, up. Ricardo, you can go live and then you can talk in the meantime.
2: We'll take a question. <laughs> but, okay, um so I think there's a... Talking permitted. Okay. Hey, now it's good. Okay? Yes. Oh, uh-huh, you're there. Okay. Okay. well, well, uh, my wish is that a uh, pandemic will help us to become humans, more humans, like we are talking about. Well, my question is, the virus shows us that is uh, is vital to make a stronger connection between technology and humanity. That's one of your main subjects, okay? you, uh, Mainly Gert speaks a lot about it. But it seems that no governments or companies or people are prepared and focus on this need mainly because this challenge asks a, a world dialogue without borders or unilateral interests. Well, uh, you, Gerd, and Harari, for example, are optimistic about the future. And I ask you if there is a path to join all these protagonists in the same meeting to face this big problem. That's, yes, the that's question. a very
1: good. Uh, that's a very good question, Ricardo. I, I think, from my point of view, is that we're now being forced into a reset and that reset is something that we actually looked at for quite some time but, but couldn't figure out how to do it because we had so many things to, lo- to lose, right? And now all of a sudden we're saying, okay, the economy is going to hell. So we may as well think about sustainable capitalism. Right? We may as well, like, you know, when, when, things, when, when things really hit the, uh, when, when, when the, shit hits the fan, then we're thinking about, okay, can we drop this and think about something new? And this is kind of the moment right now where we're saying, okay, Maybe this is something we can figure out how to uh, implement climate change measures now, because now we have already this kind of reset in place, right? So it's Mm. basically, I think we're getting closer than ever to this kind of concept. Then without this reset, we would have always to talk about, you know, how will we get ready and can we risk it and so on. But now the cards on the table, right? They're being remixed. So yeah, this is why I have hope for this. You know, call me an optimist. I probably uh, am. <laughs> but uh, thanks, Ricardo. Let's let's move on okay. to a question. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank, you, thank you, for, you for for. Go ahead. Th- thank you for okay. calling in.
4: Okay. Let's... So um, there have been many questions about the future of the travel industry post-Corona, and I will combine with that hospitality. And I know that's a topic of your concern, Gerd, so. Uh,
5: you guys take it first then. Huh? So I, I remember doing a strategy for an international airline. Gosh, it must have been 12 years ago. And uh, asked the question, you know, w- what business are you actually in? How are we, we about passengers and flying and airports? And I said, actually not. The only business you're in is, is taking me to meet with some colleagues to discuss a business issue. And I said, if that's your business, why aren't you building the kind of Zoom businesses back 10, year, 10 or 12 years ago? And they thought I'd lost my marbles. They just didn't understand it. So, you know, will will travel as the way we know it uh, return. I think it's not going to return anywhere near the same level of volume or scale as before. Uh, I think um, there will be new businesses that connect business people, that connect families maybe in virtual ways that are today. I mean, Zoom, this is version one. Imagine version 13.3. Five years from now with 5G connectivity, uh, real time data flows, zero latency and all of those wonderful things. um, I think it's going to be an absolute explosion of new ways of giving people an experience of a place or a meeting that doesn't require us to, you know, launch 300 people in the lead pencil in the sky for 13 hours.
3: Okay. I think, uh, I think travel is definitely coming back. I think uh, because if you, if you call somebody, your happiness curve go like this and I'm quite sure watching this, you don't get the same emotional reactions as watching uh, any of us on stage or amongst the, a real life audience. Likewise, if you hug your child, you know, their happiness goes all the way to the ceiling. If you write a text message full of funny videos, it's a flatliner. So travel in the future is about, a uh, five uh, dimensional it's about the food is getting more important to us what is it actually inside will be much more conscientious we're not just going for a weekend we go deeper into the travel experience we might use two months preparing to go understanding the culture understanding what layers we want to reveal we want to not just go for inspiration we want to go for transformation we wanted to do something to ourselves So that could be uh, learning a new skill uh, and really getting under the skin of people. And I think that curiosity has really been arising uh, during this corona. And of course, uh, the travel industry has to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. That means they have to be beneficial to the local economy. They have to think in circular terms. And they have to tap into the movement that we are all becoming digital nomads. I think we're having this huge uh, pleasure competition going on now where we combine business and leisure for the whole world. We can work from everywhere. So you better get set on making sure that you have some good values where you are, you have some good work ethics, people are well, that you have nice culinary uh, experiences and that people are working well together. A final thing for the travel industry I think is really important. So if I go to London, I don't want Kate to show me around because she lives there. She's, she has her blinders on. I want to be shown around London by a Danish person because a Danish person can translate all the crazy things they do in London that we don't do in Denmark. So I think people should use the foreigners much more as guides and as translators for other cultures. Well,
0: I guess, yeah, you know. I guess I'll just go screw myself then, you know, when you come to London next, you know, you're on your own, frankly. Lisa oh, oh, but, oh. But listen, I, I actually, I think I'd just like to be a bit more prosaic about this and say when we talk about travel, very often we're really talking about air travel. Because air travel was a thing that really, really revolutionized things. And I think actually, you know, COVID's going to be a total watershed here because, uh, you know, around the world, they're going to have to be very big decisions made by governments about the extent to which they're going to bail out these airlines. And of course, it's not just about passengers. Um, bear in mind, the, the only BA flight running to Madrid once a day is a big triple seven. And that's not carrying people. They do that because of cargo. And this is where it gets really important because globalization 4.0 is becoming more regional, less global, and that's going to impact air cargo as much as it's going to impact, you know, other kind of supply chains, whether it's shipping or, or, or tracking or whatever. So I think what you've got here is a couple of really big structural changes. Are we going to see a drop in air cargo? Potentially we are. Certainly, I think for passengers, travels like to get a lot more expensive because there's no way that all of these airlines are going to make it through. And, you know, the, the usual result of that is that prices go up. So are people still going to want to travel? Yes. But I think when we talk about travel, we've really got to look at the airline industry and it's going to be down to the appetite of governments globally, to, you know, in terms of the extent to which these airlines are saved, actually. And, and that's really uh, the important part now. And, of course, the knock-on effects of you know, carriers not running into certain regional airports, et cetera, could have a devastating effect on a lot of smaller tourism businesses. So, you know, the, again, it's an ecosystem thing here, but the implications of these governments that are already overstretched actually deciding who to bail out will define how we travel in the future. So it's going Katie, to be let's take it one step
5: further to, to landlords of buildings, right? Yeah. Six months from now, CEOs and FDs are going to realize that their companies are – Pretty, pretty able to deliver most of what they were doing before while with everyone working under, under their own uh, sort of operating costs at home in their own home offices. Imagine if organizations stop renewing leases across the buildings around the world, how that transforms an an industry. Uh, If you look at the experiment of IBM in Japan, where they told people to work only four days a week and have a three day weekend every single week, productivity went up 40%. So I think there's whole new ways of delivering the value propositions, the custom experiences that we will discover as technology also underpins some of that growth. Um, I, I don't disagree with, with leisure, travel for learning and exploration and fulfillment. But I think the business consequences of travel and, and real estate and running large companies in structures of the old world are going to change fundamentally. For sure. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's be frank
1: about this. You know, the last 10 years, we are, of course, the worst example of this, right? Mm-hmm. I, did, I went on 300 flights last year in 2019. I have stopped counting Uh, and I I keep talking about why we should do things remotely. It didn't work. Right. I mean, basically I think this is not, this wasn't sustainable and it will not be sustainable. And we're going to keep meeting face to face because we're human. And this is just like, yeah, you can date an app or an avatar on the internet or you can have a real date or you can use Tinder or whatever, but it's not the same thing. Right. And so I think this is really important to realize we're going to keep going we probably will take a lot less airplanes, uh, like in Europe. We're going to take the train, right? Because the train is now boosted by all this the whole debate, right? And it's quite clear airlines are in deep, deep, deep trouble because they were in trouble before, just didn't realize, you know, how much we had pushed this kind of crazy flying. You know, going to Beijing for a day, or people mm-hmm. from Manchester going to Malaga for an evening yeah. because it was two dollars on Ryanair, you know, to go. So, so I basically, what's happening here is really quite clear. We're going to travel a lot less with the airplane, and this is only now part of it because, of course, now they will go defunct. But in the future, we're going to see carbon tax, right? mandatory carbon tax for every flight you take. Right? The average value of a ticket when you fly is three hundred dollars. If we pay ten percent of that as, car- as mandatory carbon tax, right, we could do a lot of stuff with that money, right? and that's coming. So I, you know, I'll be the worst one to suffer from this. But and then we're looking at stuff like cruise ships, right? They're toast. They're not coming back.
3: What about epidemics? Epidemics could also be a driving force for stopping us to travel because basically we are afraid of of getting... uh, Finally, we have cleaned up our country, so we don't want people to travel across borders. But we do have driverless cars. We do have Elon Musk working on hyperloops. We do have a lot of people who want to create smart cities that are working on circular... uh, uh, spaces and with sustainable energy. So I think it's in human nature to be in the flow, in the movement. I don't think it's in the human nature to stifle at home.
1: No, I, I totally agree. Okay. I, I think there's lots of new technology that's going to make this possible. The interesting thing, thing is now now that we're doing this, you know, we're saying, okay, that wasn't so bad. It wasn't like being with Anton in the same room having a beer or something, but... You know, we got to do something different, and it's also very good. And we're going to adapt and say, you know what, why do I have to go now, once we can fly again, you know, in 50 years, not just kidding, let's say next year, once we can fly again, we're going to say, you know what, that was quite good, let's just do that, right? I mean, we're going to change paradigm. Uh, and this will be very difficult, especially for airlines and airports. I look at the airports and I say, okay, what if I can go to the Zurich airport, I can go into a holographic room. I pay $100 to Swiss Air, and I'm going to show up in Cape Town in real time. I still can't drink beer and smoke a cigar. Okay, that's kind of a problem, but I'm still going to be there. And that's coming. I I, I tell you in a few years, every airport will have a holographic transportation room where I pay a ticket.
0: Laziness
3: laziness has always been the main driving force, and it's just easy. So that's why we're not phoning each other anymore either. We just send text messages so we need to do a conscious travel. We need to be conscious about meeting each other in the right way. That is, bring yeah, the right it... results. So, of course, that will limit, but maybe we will also meet each other for other circumstances than we have done in the past.
5: And yeah, i on that course. note that yeah. you do yeah, what please. we've been doing with some of our friends for the last uh, few days, is schedule a Zoom drink session with your friends. I mean, it's kind of crazy. <laughs>
0: have you noticed that drink is featuring quite heavily in discussions?
1: Well, uh, well that's, that's what futurists do, right? That's how we come up with yeah. our scenarios. <laughs> right. Uh, we, we have another raised hand. Let's take Marcella, right? Marcella BOS, boss. Oh, there you are. Okay, wow, this is working really well so far at the control. So please, Marcella, uh, fire
2: away. Yeah, good uh, evening and good uh, morning for some of us uh, marcella from the netherlands speaking uh thank you panelists for uh, your valued uh um yeah, a sort of inspiration for me all the time and i want to ask you this question to all four of you and i expect uh, maybe four different questions uh, question of answers uh that is what you see when we are moving as a world uh, towards this maybe new sustainable world where we uh, in consciousness live in a high level of cooperating with each other what do you see personally as the biggest risk to get there
5: <laughs>
1: yeah yeah great answer i, th- I think the the uh, the principle of capitalism is the biggest risk right we we've gotten so used to saying you know the purpose of what we do is to get ahead to grow profit, to get richer, and, you know, and this has been the paradigm all over the world pretty much. And, and now we're saying, you know what, you know, the biggest paradigm is to be more human, to, to exist, to enjoy our lives, to collaborate, to see other humans, and that's really becoming a, a big deal now. We have to go to what Al Gore called sustainable capitalism, right? B- because it wasn't sustainable until now, and now we're realizing that it has crashed, right? and now we're thinking, okay, how do we get to sustainable uh, capitalism? And there, the biggest hurdle of us is to come on the same page and say, let's have a different stock market. Let's have a stock market that values companies by people, planet, purpose, and prosperity. Right? And that's how you get judged. That's how your bonus is paid. Have you created purpose? Have you created prosperity? Have you created a planet benefit? Right? Have you done the quadruple bottom line? That's how you get paid as a CEO in the future. When, when we switch to that and we go away from the stock market being you know, generating more profits, uh, for Aramco, uh, then I think we can get to a future. So, rethinking what the stock market is, the stock market is, and how we can uh, rewrite capitalism that to me is the biggest challenge.
3: For me, it's a, it's a, it's a lack of, of, of vision. We're always double scared of what we're going to lose compared to what we're going to get. And a lot of the stuff that we are talking about we can 't really see right now we 've been so used for all solutions to come from technology. Well, actually, here I think we need artists. Uh, artists wrote. Uh, stories about the welfare state before the welfare state existed in the Scandinavian countries. They inspired politicians that we could have some kind of minimum income, that we could take care of each other, that it would be a good investment for you to have neighbors who are not starving, who are feeling secure, that you could have uh, women in the workplace without uh, it being a problem to anybody. And I think uh, the artist had a huge role there, and for some reason these days artists are some crazy guys sitting in the corner and they're not looked at. But we actually need some artists out there who are painting out a future. Otherwise, we are scared of what we don't know, and we will jump back. Thanks.
1: Great point. Yes, uh, let let me add one so thing on the politics I, can side. Can I? Add uh, my
5: my yeah, risk is good. I think I think the, the, for me, one of the biggest risks is that we stick with this word sustainability. Um, and, and somewhat cynically, perhaps, I think we should ban the word and we should rethink a brand new word because in my mind, so, uh, I mean, folks, for those of us that are married, the concept of a sustainable marriage to me is frightening. It means that you kind of bumble along, uh, on average, you kind of survive to fight another day. That's not what the future of humankind should be about. Uh, organizations embrace this word sustainability. They 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 buy school books and, and uh, support feeding schemes, but they pump toxic waste into the rivers the, the next week. I think the new word is something like a word uh, which I use as flourishing. How do we build a flourishing future where we can look forward to things being better in multi dimensions? And I love Good's uh, way of thinking about the replacement of the stock market. But but how how do we think about everyone coexisting on planet Earth in a way in which planet Earth improves and gets better? Humans are more fulfilled, more human, more real, um, uh, etc businesses deliver real value in, in a way that everyone in the entire ecosystem flourishes. To me, we're trapped by these old world words of business that we must check out the window and now's our chance.
0: Can I Yeah, I, just, I was going to... Uh, yeah, yeah,
5: please, please, sorry. Uh, just, <laughs> uh,
1: ahead,
0: it's, please. it's just Marcella. Hi, good, good evening from, from London. And uh, it's a really great question. And I think uh, that what I picked up on there was what was the biggest danger here. And the biggest danger is that we are all so exhausted at the end of this that we lapse back into what's familiar, you know, like you do when you're on a diet, you know, it just gets too hard and, and you just go back to, to what's familiar, you know. I don't know, I maybe yep. I'm the only one who does a lot of dieting as possible, but I'll tell you that that's what happens when you diet. Um, but what I think is should be uh, an important positive takeaway here is that there has been, there are trillions of dollars looking for a home in terms of investment. And there has been for a long time and actually if we can find some real heroes and heroines amongst these people who are going to invest those things then things like really to me the the key thing we need to do is decouple consumerism from capitalism because capitalism can work you know capitalism has a lot of positives but the consumerism element of it is leading us into all sorts of nightmares you know it's where it's effectively the the advertising industry it's the suggestion economy as i call it and i think if we can decouple those two things we can bring circularity in then actually all we need are those heroes and heroines who are willing to take a, a punt and say right yeah I am going to invest in this we're going to stop putting money where vision is because vision really does mm. need that money behind it and the danger is that that doesn't happen
1: let me comment on this issue of investors you know there's a question here about investors I think it's really important to see now if you're an investor today you're going to have to look for the next thing right the old thing is running down. Like the end of oil is a certainty now, right? Get out of oil as quickly as you can because this crisis is going to make it even worse, right? And it's now the next thing that we have to think about. Healthcare, right? That's definitely a factor. Anything to do with social, taking care of people is booming, right? Uh, technology that allows what we're doing now, right? Clearly is also the future. I mean, we're looking about, uh, you know, basically sustainable investing, impact investing, right? That's the normal now after this crisis and let me also say on one point and then we're going to go to do some polls okay there is hope you know we have some really amazing people mostly young people and women who are now in charge like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand right Uh, Sanna Maria Sanna Marin is her name in Finland right we have Christina Christiana Figueres, who used to run the climate change panel who's not a politician yet but may get there eventually right we have amazing people who are coming forth and I, I predict the next five years we're going to see young people, we're going to see women, we're going to see minorities, we're going to see people, a lot more Gretas, a lot more Hararis, a lot more people who are going to catalyze this. And this is happening now. And everybody's coming out and now you've taken charge of, of describing their future. So let's do some quick polls because I don't want to forget them. It's already quite late here. And, uh, thanks, Marcella, again for, for chiming in. Okay. We're going to go to the next poll. Um, where is the next poll? Let's see if I can find it. Okay. So we would like to know what topics would interest you for the next couple of sessions. You know, this is something we are, you know, you can have multiple choices here, by the way, on this one. So we would like to know uh, if we go forward with these and pretty soon uh, on a global level with other people from the company. Uh, in the meantime, while the poll is running, why don't you guys quickly say where people can find out more about you uh, in terms of websites?
3: I think it's quite funny that you want to have people knowing more about online conferences, Gerd. I actually think you could do a big, great job out of that. <laughs> you were such a great teacher. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the hint
1: on this one. <laughs> okay, good. So where can people find out something about you? Uh,
3: yeah. Oh, at uh, futurenavigator.com if you are English speaker and .dk if you are Danish. And, uh yes. Okay. And, of course, at the Futures Agency with you guys. <laughs>
5: Yeah, thank you I'm done so I'm futurewill.org or futures agency as well great Um, yeah
0: and you can find me on twitter at katie adamson and also at uh, uh, ulteriorfutures.com which is uh, just quite new actually I've just uh, got involved with that so uh, yeah exciting times here and of course at the wonderful futures agency
1: Great. So um, we got 54 percent of people saying they want to hear about the future of work. That's a very good topic. In fact, I just made a movie on this. Now, now I can say this, right? Uh, you, you can watch it online. I, I manipulated the poll that would come out of this, right? So it's the the future. Uh, uh, How the future works. Uh, that's we just put this online about six weeks ago. How the future works. TV. Then you can watch a five minutes of this. But this is definitely a thing. So I'm going to see if we can actually. I think we can share the poll. Share the results here. Let me share the results. There they are. You can see all for yourself what your cohorts have said. Now... Kids, um, you are
3: jumping. I'm telling you to give you some feedback here. Lean back a little bit. Relax. I guess mm-hmm. I, I'm
1: moving the table here. I don't know what's <laughs> going
3: on, but I'm getting all dizzy. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now, this is the table. It's not, it's not okay. me. It's <laughs> the table, right? It's because uh, he's yes. getting way too close, Lieselotta. Yes.
3: <laughs> no, I'm just There's saying... No, there,
1: yeah, there's no earthquake or anything, okay. I, I want to do one more important thing. I I, I got I found somebody else to uh, on the next poll, okay. We're gonna unmute everybody in a second, okay. And you get to have a what we call a a special crowd burst, okay. <laughs> and the crowd burst is to as you can say yes or no. We're gonna do two of those, okay and we're going to measure how many yeses or noes by the amount of, um, of action there, right? So, so here's the question, right? Is the future better than we think, right? If you feel yes, you get to say, scream yes into your microphones in just one second. If I can find the right button here, let me see if I can cl- find the button here on the attendees. I think there is a function that allows this, or at least they used to be, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no <laughs> no it doesn 't sorry about that you 're going to have to use the chat somewhere. the button went away. you know this is the this is the pleasure of Zoom. Forget I ever said that it was nice trying, but you can use the chat too, yeah, yes, okay, ah, there we go yes, 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 that's good. <laughs> Okay, that's, you guys are right there. You're beating me to it here, right? <laughs> um let me see. Uh, you know, we can't- Gee, this, well, I haven't I think, seen a yes. single
5: no yet. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. We only yes, asked for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, yeah. This is a, this is a way of like, it's like a focus group, right? Do you like my product? Yes, yes, yes. All right. So let's ask the worst of the question. You think the future is worse than we think? Okay. Uh, give us a chat answer here. No on this, of course. <laughs> No, so actually, no, it's,
5: it's not, but no, it's not worse than we think means yes.
1: No, 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 no this is a stupid question, right? <laughs> so if you don't think the future is better than we think, you use the no. Sorry about that. I mean, this is clearly a trial here for stuff, right? So uh, anyway, so <laughs> yes, it will be better. We're going to download all those chats and then we'll, we'll sit on them. Okay. I'm going to have one more poll. Okay. Um, and then I think we're going to wrap up. Okay. Um, Okay, now you get to be brutally honest here. What are your thoughts about this event? And this is not anonymous, except for Google, which knows everything about you all the time. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so this is anonymous, yeah? Tell us you know, if you're impressed, if you're not impressed, if the sound of video was good and what else we can be doing for this. And uh, in the meantime, you can find out more about my work at futuristgirt.com. Um, and of course, on my YouTube channel where you're live streaming if, if you're there, and in my book techversushuman.com. Um, oh, this is interesting. So it tells me, okay, there's an optional question here. It doesn't say, you know, Gert, get off the screen or something. That doesn't say <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is uh, quite good. Sound and video it was good. People are happy about that. You felt welcome. Well, you guys are very nice to us you know we uh yeah we thank you
3: we are us. working for free too
1: yes oh, now yeah that's true cool, yeah <laughs> of course that's not the ultimate intent right <laughs> <laughs> okay let me see if i can share this i think everybody has voted yeah have you all voted uh, loved it liked it okay wow you guys are really generous here so let me end the poll and share results Okay, now, wow, this is very good, yeah. So, yeah, I really love the Zoom system, I have to say. I tried like 10, and this was definitely a good solution. Uh, Apart from me shaking the table, I think that maybe Zoom can can fix that as well. Um, Final poll, and then we're going to do a wrap-up, okay? For the speakers, I want 30 seconds of why you think the future is good or not, right? 30 seconds of your summary, why you think we're going into a future that you feel hopeful about, Why should we have hope and and just wrap that up in in a session? Okay. Now we're getting to the tough question. And this is the question we have debated for a long time. Would you pay? (laughs) Uh, Because surprise, surprise. Now, after you've participated, we're going to charge you money. No, just kidding. (laughs) But uh, we want to know if, uh, what do you think about paying? And we've been contemplating this for a long time. You know, there's 50 people now, uh, members of the futures agency, and we we don't usually go directly to the consumers, right? We work with agencies and companies, and and so we're wondering how this could work in the future. And I've I've had this week maybe a dozen calls from agencies who are saying we want to go online and do this with you guys, right? As speakers, and of course we're happy not to travel, so we we can be much more flexible and stuff. So this is a tough question, I know. So but you know don't don't feel uh, don't feel pressured here. I think this is also multiple choice, yeah, pretty pretty sure. So we hope we do hope to, weigh, uh, to get some good news from this. Um, by the way, uh, future events we're going to do at least one a week. And yes, if you're Australia, New Zealand, I know it's very late for you guys down there. We're going to do one in different time zones. Right? We have also been listening to a result from the last session that there were only white guys, all the white guys on the. On the panel, right? <laughs> oh, that's to have why to we're run. here.
3: Thank you. Yeah, no, no,
1: that's not why you're here. This is why, because we're tapping into the resource that we have. And this has been very difficult, difficult in the past few years is to make a good balance on that. We're really working on that. So I can assure you that we're making the effort there. Uh, if you want to find out more about the future events, it's the conference digital. It's also a new site that we've launched where you can see the schedule and also download the videos and, and this kind of stuff. So let's see, we have a poll here. Not everybody is, has voted. I'll give you, yeah, come on, keep on Keep on the voting, yeah? Okay. So, so far we have people who said, okay, it depends on who the speakers are. Well, thank you. That is obviously a good reason to get paid. The company should pay. I tend to agree with that as well. It's a very interesting uh, view. I, I think I'll let you keep voting on this, okay? Because uh, obviously it will take a little while. So we'll just keep voting on this.
5: Good. There's an interesting suggestion it. that uh people should uh be able to pay after the event whatever they think it was worth. <laughs> yes. I, th- I think that's quite a cool idea.
1: Yes, you you can bring the yeah uh, the, the suitcase full of dollar bills and you know, <laughs> remotely, so to speak, right? Through PayPal or something, right? So uh I think most of you have voted, so I'm gonna end the poll and share. Looks like people are done voting. Yeah, well, no, you're still voting, okay. Uh yeah, maybe I'll just keep this open for a little bit, huh? Okay, 142. No, that's, let's end it. I'm going to share this, okay, because...
3: I was just thinking maybe that. we could make a new format so that you can have almost a one-on-ones because you can have a post some questions and then you can almost gather the answers from different people around the world and then you have your little collage made exactly for you. So instead of making it a general future, you can have your own curated future that could be quite exciting too.
1: Yeah, I think there's lots of really amazing new business models. We're experimenting, we're trying this. You know, I think this is great also for us at the futures agency. I don't think we've ever collaborated as much as well as we do now <laughs> <I agree. laughs> because we just haven't had the t- we just didn't have the time. Exactly, you know, that goes yeah. for myself yeah. too. And 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 it's also, I think that's you know, when we do speaking gigs, we're very much focused on that sort of you know, we're the people on stage and mm. and that's it, right? And that's changing mm. completely now. And that I think mm. that takes a while to get used to it also because of the. Interaction just doesn't feel in the same way. But I think we're going to get there. Uh, next week, we have a session about how to do an online conference. Uh, that's with Anthony Lassenai. Uh, it's an online conference about online conferencing. Yeah. So let's uh, check it out. It's also on the page, uh, theconference.digital. Good. I'm going to stop the sharing here. And I think we should go the wrap-up, yeah? Because time is fleeting. So please, who wants to go first?
5: So I'll go first. I'll say I, I, I'm extremely positive because nature teaches us, as my uh, former partner and friend Wolfgang Grucke also says, extinction is a vital part of life because it creates space in which innovation and invention can take place. And I think that humans are resilient. I think we're generally motivated by love and caring uh, for the most part. And I think we will navigate and innovate our way out of the white space that will be created by the extinction, both businesses and, sadly, personal lives that this Coro 19 period is going to bring to us. Thank you.
1: Next one, I'll, yeah, don't be shy. Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll jump in. Um, yes, I, I think the thing that makes me most hopeful about the future is that what's happening now is a really, really human thing. And actually what we're seeing everywhere is people actually rebooting and going back to basics, which is, you know, do I need this stuff? What do I really, really need to buy? You know, who do I really need to see? What, what's absolutely essential in my life? Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's making the future more accessible, actually, because it's bringing it down to a human level and, and an awful lot of what we've done, you know, in the last 50 years really has all been about technology. And I think, as I said, it, that does disempower people. And I hope what this terrible episode is done is made people realize that they are very much responsible for their own future and i'm hoping that that is going to be a seed that's planted that will actually enable them to engage with other things beyond just am i going to get coronavirus in the next two weeks and actually more about how has this changed my society and what would i like to see change Uh, and i think as i say if we can get some conveners to start showing people the networks that they need to be influential then uh, i think that could be hugely positive so that's that's why i'm positive
3: I would like to end on a real futuristic note with two scenarios. One is where people are binging, watching other people living their lives, who have a hard time finding out how to create values, fearing that the robots are coming, the virus is coming to take them. And then there's another group who are engaging actively in society. And I think the fantastic part in this is that technology is right now democratizing that so we can have the traditional... Uh, up and lower classes uh, being in a sense eliminated and it will be far more up to the individual how much they want to engage actively and how good they are at supporting each other locally so don't lean back and wait for a bright or black future, create it yourself
1: Great right. and I want to even top this and say like, like I like to say the future is better than we think and that's even more true now I think first we have all the tools of technology and science just coming in on us, right? We have the tools to create the future we want, right? And now there's going to be even more money going into that future, into healthcare and sciences. And, and so that is a very good horizon even before the crisis. Second, I believe that people basically are not bad, right? I believe that people are good. I believe that we have the power to do the right thing. We do the right thing if, we, if the result is good for us if we can feel it coming back. I believe that we can do this together. And I I see that everywhere around here, people singing from windows and, you know, we do the right thing, we're not bad. And third, I think government and democracy around the world is completely changing because of this event. I see people coming forward like Jacinda and others who will make such a vast difference that everybody's gonna try to copy them. And I think populists and people that have done nothing, they're gonna fall by the wayside, as I said in my article, because they've proven to be utterly useless. Uh, and then we're going to have new people. So I have, gr- I have great hope on this. I think this is a time of huge change. As I said, the great transformation. And uh, anybody else care to comment? Otherwise, I think we should probably uh, wrap it up here. So thanks very much for being part of this. It's been a real pleasure, uh, despite all of all the minor setbacks on technology and stuff. Thanks to the panelists. Thanks to all of the uh, visitors and attendees and the hand raises and the chatters. Uh, we're gonna publish everything in about five minutes. You're gonna get an email, uh, actually about 45 minutes, yeah. You're gonna get an email uh, with a summary of this event. In the meantime, I'm gonna put this live on futurewithgird.com. Just look at the blog and then you see all the slides and, and the audio and the video and the whole thing, okay? Uh, do stay connected. Uh, the conference dot digital and sign up for the next one. Spread the word, and yeah, don't give up.
2: <laughs>
1: well, then, thank you, thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye, everybody. Thank you.